Moving to Live is a podcast about movement and exercise. We bring you interviews with professionals in the movement and exercise field. The goal is to provide information for other professionals and also amateur movement aficionados, people who understand that movement is part of what makes life complete. Some of the people we interview you will have heard of. They're well known in and outside of the movement and exercise profession. Others you may not have heard of, but they have a great deal of knowledge to share. Many people doing the best work spend their time working with people, not working on their social media presence. We're going to give you a chance to learn from some of these talented and knowledgeable individuals, and we're going to learn along with you. Moving to Live podcasts are going to be short. Each interview will be long enough to impart usable information, but short enough to be able to be consumed in a single bout, during your workout, commute, or even during dinner prep. We all like long-form interviews, but time is valuable. Moving to Live wants to give you the option to learn and be entertained without needing to commit 60 minutes at a time for an interview. Give Moving to Live a listen. Check out our sister podcast, FitLab PGH, which highlights people, businesses, events, and activities in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area that make movement a priority. Moving to Live would love to hear from you. Want to connect with us or have an idea for somebody you think we ought to interview? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com, or connect with us on Instagram and Twitter, both underscore mov2liv. We're excited to bring you these interviews, and we think you'll enjoy each and every one that we bring you. Welcome to another edition of Moving to Live. As you heard in the intro, we are committed to providing concise but interesting content, both for the movement and exercise professional, as well as the amateur aficionado, where the podcast about movement, we want to interview people who are interested in movement and understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. We try to interview a variety of people from physicians to individuals who are physical therapists, maybe endurance coaches. Our guest today, this will actually be the third time I have interviewed Menachem Brody, who's currently in Tel Aviv, Israel. I interviewed him twice previously for my local podcast, FitLab PGH. We'll have the links in the show notes. And the reason I interviewed Menachem for Pittsburgh is because he is a Pittsburgh native, although he's now living in Tel Aviv. I think he's a good fit for the interview for Moving to Live because, first of all, as a movement, fitness, exercise professional, whatever you want to call it, I think he has an interesting story and makes you realize that people come from a variety of backgrounds and a variety of experiences. And I also think his professional story is interesting and can be useful and educational both because he started out as a basketball coach and he gravitated towards strength and conditioning and still does some basketball strength and conditioning and endurance coaching. So, Menachem, I want to thank you for taking time to talk to me yet a third time, although this time is the first time for Moving to Live. Pleasure, Ben. Exciting to be here. So we always like to start out the Moving to Live podcast to find out about how people ended up where they are. So kind of if we can start out, describe what your job title is or what you do right now. So if somebody maybe you haven't seen from college sees you and says, so Menachem, what are you doing now? What's your reply? Uh, uh, right now, I am a health and fitness engineer and a strength and conditioning coach and uh, expert level cycling coach living in Tel Aviv, working with athletes from the US, Europe and abroad. Uh, even more abroad, if you will. Um, and pretty much what I'm doing is helping uh, a number of different projects and companies to advance fitness technology and health technology to be able to help more people either get moving and get healthier 
uh, or uh, to find a happy medium where they're able to perform better uh, without having to sacrifice uh, time with loved ones or, or work. Somebody's listening to this. Maybe they have a little knowledge in fitness, potentially a student or somebody who wants to move, and they just heard a term they may not have been familiar with. What exactly is a health fitness engineer? Uh, it's something that is uh, fairly new, actually, uh, with the technology. So as far as I know, there's only two or three more in the world. <laughs> um, just a, a Google search. And essentially what it is, a health and fit, fitness engineer is an expert or someone who has a, a large deep knowledge in two or three areas as it uh, pertains to health and fitness. And you were, what we're doing is we're taking that knowledge and bringing it to the forefront of the new technologies that are out. And that was one of the, the great things about moving to Tel Aviv is I've had the opportunity to work with LifeBeam, uh, which has produced V, which is the world's first ever artificial intelligence running coach. And uh, the headphones are fantastic. It's Hardman Cardam, um, headphones, which are, the, it's the best headphone for exercise on the market by far. And then even beyond that, you get uh, artificial intelligence running coach. So I've been with the project now for coming on three years in May, and I've helped them from the expert side of understanding what does a coach think about? How do they go through training a, a beginning runner, an advanced runner, an intermediate runner? What are considerations? How do you make changes? So as a health and fitness engineer, it's bringing all the knowledge um, that the individual has accrued over the last 8, 12, 15 years in health and fitness and bringing it uh, in a correct package for that technology to be able to have an impact for their desired customer base or end user base. And I'm sure we'll talk about this a little bit more in part two to find out how you get into that. But you are in Tel Aviv right now. You've lived in Tel Aviv for the past few years, but you are originally a Pittsburgh boy. So how did you start out in Pittsburgh and end up moving to Tel Aviv? So kind of your story Grew up in Pittsburgh, and I know from talking to you previously, originally your goal was not to be an endurance coach. That is correct. Uh, so born and raised uh, in, in Pittsburgh, a Steelers fan through and through. Um, and uh, I actually have lived in the same house for whew, uh, 27 years in Squirrel Hill. Uh, my dad's originally from Hartford. My mom's from McVeightown, a very small town in PA, and she's had a big influence, a huge influence on my uh, mentality towards health and nutrition, believe it or not. Um, and over the 20-something years in Pittsburgh, I, I went to a small uh, Jewish school, uh, the yeshiva, then I went to Hill Academy in Squirrel Hill, not too far from one another, about two blocks apart, actually, or block. One is on Hobart and, um, oh, I can't remember the cross street. Uh, one is on Hobart and Whiteman, that's it. And then the other one's on Beacon by Murray. So they're literally a block and a half apart. Uh, and then for high school, I went to a small Jewish boys school for two years and then uh, called the Massif of Greater Pittsburgh. And then finally to Taylor Alderdice for the last two years. So I kind of had a full spectrum of experiences uh, for the schooling. And then I decided to stay and go to Pitt, just like my parents did. Worked with the University of Pittsburgh men's basketball program. Uh, was actually offered a, a job when one of the coaches left at a small uh, Division One uh, program. And it came, to, came down to, uh, I really loved coaching basketball. I worked with the JCC uh, boys high school program uh, for a number of years. I think seven years it was I was coaching them from the age of 18. Uh, Sam uh, Bellin was kind enough to bring me in and really saw my potential as a coach as an 18-year-old or 17-year-old and, and let me come in and coach the JV team. 
And I really was going very hard and very fast down the track for coaching. And what it came down to is part of my, my health and fitness lifestyle is balanced between work and personal life. And that's something I try and really coach with my athletes. That's why the number one rule that I have for every single athlete I work with is that um, this should be good, hard, but fun. When it stops being fun for two weeks in a row, we talk. And if we need to, we take a break. Rule number two is communicate clearly. Um, I just realized with the basketball coaching at the level I wanted to coach, I, I had invested thousands of dollars in learning from some of the best coaches beyond Jamie Dixon, Barry Rorson, uh, Brandon Knight, uh, the coaching staff at Pitt, uh, a number of others, uh, Pat Sandel. I mean, so, so much Orlando Antigua, so many coaches, uh, fantastic coaches worked at Pitt. And uh, I just came to the realization that I can go and sacrifice my, my 20s and early 30s to work 80 to 95 hours a week um, and hopefully wind up in a good paying job as a college basketball coach. Uh, or I can look at having more of a, a intimate impact with the athletes that I'm working. And that's where I kind of turned into a cycling coach. I had been an exercise science major at Pitt uh, as my undergrad. And I joined the pit cycling team. And long story short, I went to ask the coach for a training plan. He put me off for about three and a half, four months. It came the summer. Um, I was graduating the next December. And I figured, you know what? Hell, I have a degree in exercise science. I'm a basketball coach. How hard can cycling coaching be? I understand the science behind it, the physiology. I understand the biomechanics. I did powerlifting for a number of years. And I love strength training. So let's just learn about bikes. So I went and took the USA Cycling um, coaching certification in 2007 or 2008. I can't remember. It was officially certified in, in July or August. And then I opened uh, my coaching business in 2008 because uh, I was starting to see some results for myself. Uh, let's be honest. I wasn't the best cyclist. You know, I was a basketball player weighing in at about 82 kilos. My first uh, bike was a Scott CR1, which I, I worked my butt off to pay for. Um but I had friends coming to me from the, the club because they also went to the coach and they're like, you're an exercise science major. Can you help me with this? I'm like, well, actually, I'm a USA Cycling certified coach. They're like, oh, awesome. And um, those athletes and I had a very good communication and an excellent relationship. And that's how I became a cycling and triathlon and an endurance coach was just kind of happenstance. I was not too keen on becoming a, a basketball coach at, at the top level of, of college because of the hours committed. I wanted to have more family time and cycling, uh, more impact with the athletes. So, uh, from there I worked in, the, uh, in Pittsburgh for four years and I was actually planning on moving to Italy, uh, to understudy with, uh, two coaches in the North of Italy. Um, and my parents had moved to Israel to retire. They're originally going to go to Arizona and then they realized it was too expensive. And they said, you know what, um, let's give Israel a try and see. And they, they loved it. Um, they're living in the middle of the desert. They're happy as clams uh, in the desert. I guess it'd be desert clams. And uh, I said, you know what, instead of moving to Italy and living a pauper's life, you know, if I go to Israel, it's a three hour flight away. So technically, if things go bad in Italy, I can easily you know, pack my three suitcases and my bike and fly to Israel. Um, why not go to Israel? The cycling scene is well behind everything. And they need a lot of help. So I said, you know, to hell with it. Let's give it a shot. Contacted the Israel Cycling Federation via email. Um, I was told that the job for coaching the cadets was actually going to be open the end of the year. Uh, so I went from thinking, oh, I'm going to Italy next uh, 
next fall in uh, August uh, or October of 2013 to, well, I guess I'm going to Israel in uh, December. You know, I left on Christmas Day 2012. Uh, so it was a very quick turnaround. And uh, when I got to Tel Aviv, there was actually a little bit of uh, upheaval in the Israel Cycling Federation. The person who promised me a job wound up um, being voted out. So I did not have a job. And I figured, you know what? Let's, let's see where we can go. We're close to Europe. The cycling scene here still needs me. And over the years, I actually wound up falling in with Israel Cycling Academy, uh, which is now going to be on the, is starting the Giro 2008. So it's the first ever Israeli professional cycling team. And uh, I've watched them grow and helped them grow uh, for the last year and a half. And this year, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, helping them uh, with the Giro stuff as well. So that's kind of my, my five minute story, if you will. But it's, it's been very interesting and, and, the things that I did not expect to happen that happened and the things that I expected to happen didn't happen, you know, c'est la vie, as they say, but uh, it's been an interesting journey to say the least. Having been in the field of endurance coaching, cycling coaching for, I guess we can say 10 years or, all, or maybe at this point it's 10 plus years. Looking back, you're somebody who from your description came into it not with a background as a junior cyclist or if you as triathletes, somebody who competed as a, you know, as an age group triathlete. So it was all relatively new to you. And I know as a former high school basketball player, running was not necessarily my favorite thing. Endurance things were not my favorite thing. How did you gravitate from basketball to saying, you know, I think endurance coaching is where I want to be because there are a lot of other types of coaching other than basketball that are a little bit more flexible on the time. And endurance coaching seems like an interesting twist or turn. Excellent question. The, in, the intimacy with the, with the athletes. And that's, that was the other thing about uh, collegiate coaching is I realized, especially with the rules in the NBA, you can do uh, at the time, I think it was, you could do one and done. Um, it was right after Kobe Bryant had been drafted uh, they changed the rules and, and college basketball was changing. So it wasn't like Coach K talks about in his books or John Calipari or, or Gino talks in his where you have these great relationships with all these players. Although Gino's a, an exception. I, I believe you said you spoke to him. Um, no, I listened to an interview. Gotcha. So okay. I'd like so, to speak uh, to him. So if he's listening or somebody knows him, I would love to interview Gino Oriemo for uh, Moving to Live. Uh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> uh, with women's co uh, college basketball, it's different. Uh, the professional league is very different. But I, I realized working at Pitt, it takes a really great coach to put a team together that's consistently in the top 25. And I recognize that now in hindsight, you know, looking at what uh, Kevin Stallings has, has had to battle since being there, moving to the ACC, which uh, the recruiting at Pitt was not built for. I mean, the ACC is very much a finesse league. It's it's much more similar to the NBA than the Big East. The Big East is more, you know, bump and grind and getting your knocked on your butt uh, by cutting, you know, there's from the defender, like there's so much going on in the Big East. With the coaching staff, the the understanding of the pieces that need to be there, it, it was much more of a profession, whereas I liked the intimate connection. Like the JV boys, the JCC, there was a little bit of a falling out of sorts. They changed uh, – Sam left as a sports director. A new one came in. Um, I don't know if the new one didn't like me or didn't know who I was, but uh, I didn't get a chance to say a proper goodbye or let the boys know for the JV and varsity that I was not going to be back the next year. Uh, and I think some of them were very hurt by that. I know I was. Um, and that was kind of when I wasn't invited back was when I realized 
I really, what I really care about coaching is the intimate connection, the ability to have a positive impact on someone's life and, and to have you be that person that they talk about five, 10, 15 years. You remember that coach back in high school? Yeah. I still remember some of the stuff he told me, you know, that really helped me get, get me through some tough times. And I just kind of realized that endurance coaching, you have a one-on-one relationship with the athlete and that's where you have an impact to not only shape an athlete, but also shape a human being. And you know, I'm, I'm very interested in the psychological side of things. Before we jumped on the interview here, we, we talked about uh, Dr. Kristen Diffenbach and her uh, impact on the juniors program at, at um, uh, USA Cycling and, and how developing athletes in a system is difficult. And you have to, a lot of people think the science part, but the psychology is seen as a soft science and it's not taken uh, as serious as it, it should be in, in, in my professional opinion. Um but that's something that, that really intrigues me and, and interests me to have that positive impact. And that's kind of how I fell into it. I, I was really on the fence. I didn't really embrace it. Uh, Glenn at Big Bang Bicycles, um, he didn't sweet talk me into it, but he, he was an excellent guide and that he let me come to the conclusion that this was the logical next step for me to try for two to three years. And he saw a lot of potential in me to help people on that individual level. And just being out on group rides and, and seeing, you know, I was not the fastest person on these group rides. In fact, I, I learned how to survive very well. Um, and by giving tips to other riders and seeing them ride faster, at the time I suffered immensely, but at the end of the ride, I'm like, wow, holy crap, they got really fast in a month. And that's because of something that I said to them. Let's see what else we can do. And it was kind of that curiosity of, you know, Eric Cressy never played baseball beyond Little League. Um, uh, Lauren Landau was a professional bodybuilder, essentially, and he's the top speed and agility guy. And and I've realized that the people who do the best uh, or have the biggest impact in certain areas aren't necessarily ex-athletes. And in fact, oftentimes they're not. And I think part of it is that that challenge. And, and that's part of what I love about strength training for endurance athletes and, and working with um, changing the understanding of strength training for endurance athletes and how to train properly. Uh, like, uh, for example, Ben, we, we spoke about before is none of my runners for, uh, long distance Ironman or half Ironman are running more than 60 miles ever before their goal event. And I have had athletes walk away at the interview after the interview, because they're like, well, that's not for me. How can I prepare for a marathon if I'm not running longer than 16 and 16 is only once or twice. And that's for the mental thing to get over that, that halfway point. That's it. Uh, honestly, I'm after talking to a couple other coaches, I'm thinking about going, uh, nothing over 10. Um, because really to advance as a runner, you need strength and you need technique. Once you have that, uh, you're able to, to perpetuate that through the 26, uh, miles. But, uh, coming back to the main question, it was really that, that ability to have the impact on somebody to help them unlock their own, uh, abilities. And that's something that I tell my athletes and, and people don't really understand until, maybe four or five years into the relationship, you know, I have a number of athletes I've been working with. One we just yesterday had, I actually emailed him. I said, Paul, uh, is your and Susan's uh, anniversary today? Because I, I think it's wrong. And I realized, no, that's our anniversary. We've been working together for almost a decade. <laughs> um, so it's the long-term impact for the athletes. And most of them don't realize that I'm really serious when I say to them, my job as your coach is to teach you the ways of, of training, what works for your body. We'll figure it out together. It's an adventure. There'll be ups and downs. But ultimately, my goal is to phase myself out where I become a consultant more so than your coach. So I'm there for accountability or guidance or, or consulting more so than to tell you what your training plan is. So I'll put it together. We work on it as a team. And at a certain point, you say, 
and I scrapped the the SSI workout today. I just didn't feel that good mentally, and I decided that I'd do a shorter workout VO2 max. Cool, that works. Um, that's that's really how I came to it. Was the individual connection and the impact to have on some of the the high school boys that I had, seeing some of them that were people didn't see their potential, and I, I have that here with the development players uh, I work with. Uh, there's one player in particular that I was pushing him really hard last year, and my business partner here who's also a, a coach and a trainer. Uh, and he's very into the NLP and and the the mental side of things. Said, I, I don't know what what you see in this kid, but I, I trust you. And here this year, he's by far the best player in his league uh, because they put him down a week. Uh, and now he's frustrated, but now he's getting all of the coaches, the developmental coaches, are now watching all of his games because I gave him that seed. You know, his dad has it, but as we all know, when mom and dad believe, yeah, thanks mom, thanks dad, I know I'm the best. Or no, I'm really good. But when someone else on the, as an outsider, someone is training you and you can see that they have a plethora of knowledge and the experience to say this, you take it more seriously and allows you to develop more. And, and that's the reward that I get. And that's really what drove me into the endurance sports. Uh, that's the short answer, believe it or not. It, it goes far deeper and we can keep going if you want. But uh, that, that's the short answer to that. So I guess the question on that would be then, why cycling as opposed to why not running? Why not rowing? Because I know Pittsburgh has an active rowing com- community with uh, Three Rivers Rowing and a number of other rowing clubs. What was it about cycling? The alignment of the stars in the uh, the universe. It was fate. Um, that, that's the honest truth. It, it, it wasn't racquetball because we didn't have a competitive racquetball league. It wasn't um, – what else was I doing at the time? Oh geez, there's so many. It wasn't mountain. It wasn't uh, climbing because we didn't have a competitive climbing league. It was cycling that I started as a way to commute to and from my job as a city lifeguard uh, at Bloomfield, biking over on my hardtail uh, 350 goose that my mom bought for me uh, because I bent my sister's huffy <laughs> steel frame going through a uh, Frick Park golf course, beating a road cyclist no less with a rubbing tire because I bent it on my initial sprint. Um, it was just falling in love with the, the evening rides back in, in June, July, August, coming up through um, through CMU, across the quad, with the sun hitting me, feeling the breeze, even though it's super sticky and humid, uh, and the joy and the challenges that it, it presented of technique and, and being able to beat other road cyclists and have them turn around or, or, or stay with them and have them turn around and have that surprise look of, how the heck are you still there? Um, as well as uh, my best friend, uh, Yoni Reinfeld's older brother, who's also a very good friend, uh, who was an exercise physiology major at Pitt as well, um, who helped get me into road cycling and, and guided me. It was just an alignment of the stars and the fact that it was competitive. Pitt had a team. It gave me that that team atmosphere that I was looking for and, and the adventure of exploring Brackenridge. You know, where the heck is Brackenridge PA? Well, it's about 20 miles up Allegheny River Boulevard. You do about 25 miles an hour up there. You're tired. You recover through Oakmont. Go over the bridge. Uh, turn right and keep going and just exploring new areas of, of Pittsburgh. Um, Am I correct that you left out the part with stopping at the Oakmont Bakery? You know, uh, as it, it's a it's a shame, but I did not discover the Oakmont Bakery until I started sponsoring the uh, um, the Cat Velo uh, Pittsburgh Elite Velo. We did a, a ride, and they're like, "Oh, we're just going to stop here for coffee." Amazing. <laughs> for people who are listening to this who are not uh, Pittsburgh area natives, the Oakmont Bakery is renowned for their uh, plethora of baked goods. I think is a good way to put it. 
I believe that's when my croissant addiction began. <laughs> so you've explained pretty well the idea behind changing from basketball to endurance, why cycling was picked up. Uh, what were your parents' comments on that? Because if you think uh, endurance sports in Pittsburgh and an endurance coach is not something that is a common career path, and typically somebody who majors in exercise science, when they look at jobs, they're saying, well, I'm going to get a uh, something where I can work with cardiac rehab, or maybe there'll be a personal trainer in a gym. What were your parents' response when you said, hey, you know, I don't think this basketball thing is going to work out, but I'm going to do endurance coaching. And then specifically, I want to focus on working with cyclists and then later triathletes. Good question. Um, I, initially, I, if I recall, you asked this on uh, the first interview as well for FitLab PGH. I mean, they were very supportive. My, my parents have always been very supportive. Um, very fortunate. I know Gary Vaynerchuk talks about his parents and, and how, how they help shape who he is today. And I feel the same way about my parents. Um, very active parents, but not helicopter. And when I say active, they wanted to know what was going on in my life, but they, they didn't pry too much. If I didn't feel like talking about something, they leave me alone. Um, they supported the things that I had, whether they agreed with it or not, um, in a good way. You know, it wasn't an unhealthy way of, oh, you want to do baseball or basketball? Fine. We're going to, you know, I had to beg them to send me to five-star basketball camp uh, out in Robert Morris uh, University, but they, I finally did it. And the deal was, you know, I did chores around the house for X number of months and I earned it. So that was what they instilled in me is the, uh, that you have to work for what you want. Uh, but if you know what you want, um, then you go after it and, and you do it intelligently. And that was, uh, I think, how it was with uh, the endurance coaching. It's, I made the decision sound very easy before, um, both here and in the previous interview with FitLab PGH. It was very difficult. It, it happened not instantaneously. It happened over a couple of months. Um, it didn't happen until August. I still remember it. I was driving back from Washington, D.C. I had uh, just done my second, no, my, my second and third interview to become a site manager for a Department of Justice uh, fitness center uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, and it went extremely well. I mean, it was, it was really, really great. Um, I believe Mike was the manager. And he called me. I was about a half hour outside. And he said, look, uh, I don't need to think about it anymore. I want to offer you the job. And he offered me what I, at first when I heard the offer, I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Uh, it was uh, $48,500 uh, for the year, um, working about 55 hours a week. And between, I, I, you know, of course, I, I said, I, uh, let me take it the weekend. It was Friday. Let me take the weekend. I'll call you on Monday. When I did the math, it came down to it was about uh, $800 short a month if I lived in an apartment in DC with four other roommates. And it, it just didn't make financial sense because I would, and he said, like I called him, he said, look, what a lot of the managers do is they do personal training on the side. Um, as long as your clients sign a waiver, uh, we don't ask any questions. We don't take any overhead, um, but they have to be DOJ employees and have access to the gym. You know, he gave me the rules and regulations. It just wasn't something I was interested in. And I sat down with if it was dinner or, or we just sat out on the patio um, and we talked about it. And I said, you know, uh, Glenn keeps saying that I, you know, I have a lot of skills. I have a lot of knowledge and I should get into cycling coach. And I have the certification. I did it just, you know, to help my friends because the guy, the pit coach wasn't doing anything. But maybe I should look at this as a, as a job. And 
I don't remember exactly what he said, but in short, it was uh, entrepreneurship and uh, small business ownership runs in our family, so it's not really a surprise. Uh, my mom's dad, uh, may he rest in peace, actually built, physically built the town general store in McVeigh Town, PA, which still stands. Um, it is a brick, uh, not a brick, it is a stone building, so it was not brick. Uh, he built it by hand. It's now the U.S. Post Office in McVeigh Town, PA. And uh, so he had the general store. My dad's dad owned a factory in outside of Hartford, which developed or made um, storm windows. It was something else beforehand, and he, he changed. This is something that you'd like to do. You need to understand the risks. It means that you're not going to have a guaranteed paycheck. So that means you have to have something that gives you a steady paycheck to support yourself until you see you can do it. But ultimately, if this is what you really want, then you need to make sure you're intelligent about it. But uh go after it. So I went out, I attained a small business loan. Um, and I, I, this is before the credit, uh, bust of 2008. Thankfully, uh, I got a, a capital one credit card with a very low interest rate or 0% interest, which was unheard of. And after, uh, it went up to 4.99%. So this is unheard of, you know, average is now 18.9%. And, uh, that's how I started. And I, I made some mistakes as, as we all do. And, uh, but my, my parents and also my mentors said, if this is what you want to do, this isn't what we would do. Uh, going on purchasing jump stretch bands and medicine balls and spending you know $5,000 on, on equipment you don't need yet. But if this is what you feel you need to do, just know that there are consequences. And this is going to take away from the income that you can spend to go learn from other people or travel to races, whatever it may be. Um, so they were supportive from that aspect. They allowed me to move back home after. Uh, so I had a roof over my head. They, they didn't charge me rent. Uh, so from that aspect, I was like most other entrepreneurs and startups where I was living at home uh, at my, my parents uh, or a friend's and uh, my contribution was chores and uh, that was about it. Um, and it's hard. I mean, I, I, the emotions coming back now, it's not easy. And this is something that uh, I think Gary Vaynerchuk does a fantastic job of, of telling people. And this is why most people don't do it. It's effing hard. Like you are going to fail. I, I, I can think of about three huge failures that I had, uh, including not realizing that I had verbally agreed to a piece of equipment and some showing up at my doorstep. Thankfully, they, they took it back and only charged me for half. But uh, it was a big mistake. And um you fail your way to success, and it's true. And uh, has the opportunity to to live at home rent free and to eat food and to have water and electric paid for. And I recognize that. And there's some entrepreneurs that have done way more. You know, the the, the story of Spanx and how she started that. I, it, it's 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 insane. Um, same with um, uh, Fubu. Uh, I can't remember his name. His name escapes me at the time. Uh, but he's on Shark Tank. Uh, <laughs> Damien, Ed Damien Edwards or Damien, Damien Roberts, I think. Uh, Damien Edwards sounds right. Yeah. I mean, he, he was paying part of the mortgage, if I'm not mistaken, and, and hustling out of his house. I mean, people have it harder than me. And I, that's where I have the respect and, and humility. People are like, oh, yeah, well, uh, mommy and daddy helped you. Well, like they did. And, and don't get me wrong. Putting a roof over my head and food in my mouth and, and, and electricity and water is huge. That, that only takes you so far. And unfortunately, with the amount of college loans we have now in, in the U.S., which I honestly think is a crime, um, how much is being charged and how much Mike Rowe has been pushing for trade schools and trades for the last, I don't know, 
amazing. Micro has been a huge proponent of blue collar jobs, which we need uh, in our society. You know, um, I think it's a crime how much colleges are, are paying, are charging at this point, and how many people are having to move back home after going to college, and there aren't any job prospects. But from that, that from the standpoint of how my parents supported me. Uh, They've been there to be, you know, uh, got a devil on the right shoulder, um, an angel on the polar. Uh, they've really helped. And yes, I know that's backwards, but that's the whole point of it. You have the devil on the right and the angel on the left. It's just you have to have something to change your perspective, but never forced. And I think that's something that regardless of if, you're, if it's your parents or a mentor or a friend, um, that's part of the reason why we're the sum of the five people we spend the most time with is because – we pick up habits and perspectives on life and things from those people. And as, as we spoke before, you can have those people around you, but um, as, as you said with uh, Gino in his uh, interview, there's two reasons you don't do something. One is because you don't know. And the other is because you're not wanting to. And if you only have five people around who know the same thing that you do, how is that going to help you be better than the generation before? And it's not. Very good point. We slight correction. Both of us were incorrect. It's Damon John who is the founder of FUBU. Ah, survey says. <laughs> so fortunately, Google was our friend. We've been talking with Menachem Brody. He is the owner of Human Vortex Training, and he's told us how he ended up in Tel Aviv from a lifestyle in Squirrel Hill, Pennsylvania. We're going to come back in two weeks and talk to Menachem about uh, endurance coaching specifically, how he differs from many other endurance coaches. And I hope we can also delve into the online coaching dilemma, uh, the balance between giving good product and competing with other coaches who maybe don't have the level of knowledge that you have. So Menachem, I want to thank you for talking to Moving to Live for part one, and I'm looking forward to talking to you in part two. Thank you for having me, Ben. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of Moving to Live. Make sure you check out the show notes for contact information for our latest guest, as well as links about all the things we talked about. Intro and exit music is Traveling Light by Jason Shaw. You can subscribe to Moving to Live on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play, and be notified about new episode releases. Have any questions, comments, or suggestions? Drop us an email, mov2liv at gmail.com. Connect with us on Twitter or Instagram, both underscore mov2liv. Please tell your friends about Moving to Live. It's a go-to place for information for movement and exercise professionals and amateur aficionados who understand that movement is part of what makes your life complete. Until next week, keep on moving.